Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Felipe Cabrero Gomez. Uh, He's at Imperial College London studying metabolic disease, aging, and microbial communities. So, Felipe, thanks for coming. Uh, Tell me about your research. Well, thank you. Thank you, Richard, for the invitation. So, uh, so our lab is um, trying to understand really how the microbiome uh, interacts with host physiology. We really focus on the communication between these, uh, could call it two uh, entities, um, you know, and how, what type of molecules that one produces to that influences the physiology of the other one. So in particular, our lab is also interested in understanding how that communication really changes when uh, both the host and the microbiome are really challenged by both dietary elements or the drugs that we take on a daily basis to treat disease. So it's really a very comprehensive view of, of the host uh, physiology that takes into account not only uh, its microbes, but also environmental factors. So what have you discovered that's, uh, that's interesting about this interaction? Like, you know, when you're eating food, Absolutely. who eats first? Is it uh, back and forth, you know, like my, my stomach will digest food a little bit and then, you know, microbes start working on it and then they pass it back to me and back and forth. Like, so how do you think it works? Yeah, so we did a quite a, uh, what do we think, a very important discovery, uh, two important discoveries, uh, one in the context of, of cancer drugs, actually, where uh, we understood uh, precisely the mechanism by which some of the commonly uh, classic drugs for colorectal cancer were being modified by, uh, by, by, by microbial metabolism, and that was actually amplifying or reducing the response of the drug to the host. And we saw that indeed uh, uh, certain components of food, uh, putting it in basic terms, uh, could uh, change uh, that response, that microbial response in their metabolism of these cancer drugs. Uh, and, and in two years later, um, we, we made a, a different type of discovery, again, in the context of, of nutrition and, and, and drugs. And in this case, uh, we were just looking at uh, one of the most widely used uh, drugs called metformin, which is used to treat uh, type 2 diabetes. And we found that, uh, so that this drug needs to impact on all microbial physiology to, 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 to have some of its positive effects on the physiology. And we discovered that nutrition could uh, regulate signaling pathways in these microbes uh, that the drug was needed to activate in the first place. So basically we found that at the core of the communication between the microbes and the host and the drug, bacteria could sense the nutritional environment and adapt its response depending on all these different elements. And we discovered really mechanistically uh, how this was happening and what were the molecules that were produced in this context that would then go on to communicate with the host and change its physiology. So I think those were kind of the two major um, discoveries that would, I would say, uh, are important to uh, from our 
them all work. Maybe when a, a new drug is being evaluated, uh, maybe the first step instead of like a mouse model uh, or even just in vitro in a dish is to expose a drug to, you know, bacteria that show up in, uh, in people's guts. Absolutely. And see what the bacteria transform it into first and then, you know, yes. try it in a mouse model. So I, it's, it's interesting now pharmacology as, as I think it's changing uh, in, in the last 20 years since this big discovery of the microbiome. And indeed, studying the microbiome can be done in, in many different ways. You can go from classical in vitro microbiological approaches. There's really excellent work from colleagues at the MBL where they do these massive high throughput screens and really try to understand, as you say, almost in vitro, how microbes from the human gut microbiome react and respond uh, in vitro uh, to, to challenge, when challenged with drugs or even dietary elements. Uh, we, we pushed that a little bit further where we, we include in our um, systems uh, a host, which is still amenable for high throughput screening, which is C. elegans. And really that gives us that extra layer of understanding between um, kind of more basic or uh, microbiology and, and intermediate to a more complex system where you have a host that responds to those cues as well. Because a lot the problem maybe with, with, with just doing the, the basic or more simple experimental work where we'll just look at whether a drug has been degraded or not, we still don't know whether that degradation is physiologically relevant to change the host, right? And by having a sim sometimes even a simple host, like a fly or, 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 or a C. elegans or a, or a fish, you can get that extra response. And that gives us very good clues of whether, you know, a lot of that uh, work needs to be then pushed into a, a more complex uh, mouse model or even a pig model or even uh, eventually push it to human uh, studies. And let's not forget even the, all the computational work that can be done in well, I mean, just like, let's say you could say the liver processes many substances and can render stuff, you know, hemotoxic or, you know, kidney toxic, et cetera. I would think that uh, our microbiome is a huge modulator of everything we eat or medicines we take. And I don't think, you know, I don't see how that could be anything less than, a, you know, a major thing yeah, that absolutely. should really be evaluated. You know, maybe that's why. Absolutely. Maybe one of the main reasons why people have different responses to drugs is their microbiome at the time. Yes. Uh, so the, the evidence is really there now that the microbiome really is an important component in, in modulating that response to, to a lot of the drugs that we take. And I think we're just really uh, surfacing the tip of the iceberg at this point. I think the more we, and, 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 and I'll just to, to give you an example, it took us five years for each you know of work for each one of these studies for each one of these drugs so to really fully understand the contribution of the different micros and and, and within those micros what are the mechanisms that uh that change that response uh you know of of, of humans or human cells to certain ther therapeutics so so i think we can definitely we cannot neglect the importance of the microbiome in regulating uh, drug response. But one, one thing that is very nice that we see now appearing a lot is these uh, pharmacokinetic models, computational models that take into account really microbial metabolism and host metabolism and do, do, does already do a great job in kind of trying to put together uh, these uh, potential what's going on even in an in silico way. And then I think that's, that's also something that can really 
complete uh, all the other research that is going on with either model organisms or even. Well, when you study things like metformin, did you see that um, continual taking of metformin or other drugs changes the composition of the person's bacteria? Because it would, I would think over time, it would attract and enable more and more the growth and flourishing of the bacteria that specifically degrade or interact with metformin. So they would predominate over time, at least locally, where it's first being digested and then change the whole community around them. Yeah, so, so that's, it's, it's, again, each, each, each one of these drugs seems to have a very kind of almost unique interaction with, with gut microbes. And, and what we found with metformin, again, from not just from our work, but from the work from a lot of, uh, of other collaborators and, and, and investigators in this area, is that indeed metformin does add a big pressure on, on, or selective pressure, if you can put it this way, on, on the type of, of gut microbes that exist during the, the treatment itself. One of the, it's been known for a long time that one of the main side effects of, of metformin uh, administration is, is indeed um, gastrointestinal um, alterations. Uh, and, and, and this really translates into, uh, in some patients even, some people need to stop the, the treatment, but in others, that, that long-lasting change in the microbiome seems to be uh, associated with its positive effects. And I, if I'm not mistaken, um, if people stop taking the drug, there is kind of a rebound effect where microbes tend to go back to maybe a, almost a previous state of, of microbial composition uh, to the treatment. So indeed, the, the, the beauty of the microbiome is this kind of almost elastic uh, nature of it where it, it, it rebounds all the time and it changes and, and adapts and, and, and the consequences of those adaptations can be either positive or negative. Uh, and that's really what a lot of the research is trying to understand. Richard? What do you, what do you think is a, um, is a larger factor, you know, let's say for uh, you know, metformin, the bacteria that first uh, work on it, uh, the metabolites that uh, they break it down into, or the metabolites that they produce that then yeah. uh, you know may affect the person. I think the jury is still out on that one. Uh, I think the for metformin, metformin can't be at least we haven't identified a microbe that can degrade metformin in the gut. So this, that happens to the great majority of drugs, and that's actually been known for a long time. Uh, but in the case of metformin, it's more it's almost selective um, pressure that it imposes. Uh, in, in, in the microbial community, and then change certain changes in microbes and uh, seem to be responsible for these kind of knock-on effects on the host physiology. So that's one of the accepted views. The other view is more a metabolic role. The one that we, we, we were strongly uh, advocating for is that metformin per se is indeed pushing to certain uh, conditions, which of course allow some microbes to thrive, but it also imposes that on those microbes, a very strong metabolic change. And the consequence of that change is the production then of, of interesting molecules such as short-chain fatty acids or certain polyamines that can really then go to regulate very actively host physiology and metabolism. What, um, have you studied, for instance, let's say metformin, have you figured out who in the gut or what families or strains uh, work on it and what metabolites they break it into or what metabolites they give off and then why administer that drug? What if, um, you know, I know a certain bacteria, E. coli, for some reason, you know, likes to work on metformin and it produces uh, a certain compound when it does. 
why not then try a round where you just administer the compound that the bacteria creates to the mouse instead of metformin and cut out that one step? Has that ever even been contemplated? Any, any thoughts there? What would that do? Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Um, so we, we figured out, at least in one of our studies, that uh, that metabolic change induced by metformin, and E. coli seems to be one of those members. We don't know why specifically. I don't think anyone really knows why in, uh, in mouse or human studies of patients treated with metformin, E. coli or, and other proteobacteria seem to thrive and bloom when, when, oh, when those patients are under metformin treatment. That's, it's still unclear what is the, the, the pressure that leads to that change. Uh, from a metabolic point of view, uh, and also from, from both our experimental work and computational work, that really supports that uh, the activation of the signaling pathway that E. coli has and some other proteobacteria have allows them to adapt to metformin, and, and it activates this entire signaling and metabolic pathways that lead to the production of agmatine. So the reason why, and, and this is based on some of the data that we have, the reason sometimes why metformin seems to work better than giving the downstream metabolite is that if you just give the downstream metabolite to a native community of microbes, that metabolite can be degraded. But metformin instead puts the community and certain microbes to force them to produce and get rid of the, that molecule. So basically actively producing it rather than degrading it. So it's really, I think it's the drug itself puts the, the microbiome into a catabolism mode rather than an, an anabolism mode than a catabolism mode. And I think that is the difference because if we just given the compound agmatin directly, we can see that the effects are largely diminished by this ability or, or capa metabolic capacity of the microbiome to degrade um, agmatin. But if you give inside just a drug, you activate an entire ecosystem to produce a molecule that is constantly being given to the host rather than being degraded, if that makes sense. Okay, so you found that uh, it's, it's agmatine is what's created by the bacteria? Yes. So that's one of the molecules that at least we have uh, a specific um, interest and focus. Uh, the, uh, the, of course, as a production, and we did that also uh, from our metabolic modeling, uh, and this is consistent with work from other colleagues, uh, short-chain fatty acids are also increased in their production uh, when metformin is administered. Uh, and we see actually that for one of the metabolic products that are produced concomitantly with, uh, with the production of agmatine are not only short-chain fatty acids, but interestingly, some of those gases, uh, which are actually known to be associated with some of the negative side effects of the drug, actually. Flatulence and some uh, discomfort uh, are through the production of gases. And we've seen that from our metabolic modeling that indeed, uh, when administered metformin, when you give metformin, the microbiome produces increased CO2 and, and other gases, like hydrogen sulfide and that are gotcha. associated have with you, the negative side. Have you tried playing with the ratio of uh, metformin to agmatine? You know, what if you did half half and you gave it to a you know to a mouse? It's a good point. We haven't gotten there. Uh, so the the study was really finished at that. Well, at the moment, it was finished at that point where we really made that discovery, and are, we're now trying to take this forward and really fully understand uh, how much more can we explore that. But that is one thing we're envisaging. Yeah, absolutely. 
One, the other thing we're, we're thinking is actually about providing more of the substrate uh, that produces agmatine. So to constantly uh, feed the metabolic machinery with the, with the natural uh, uh, substrates that it needs to, to make this, this specific product. Well, in addition to the production of agmatine, are you seeing a reduction in the product of other substances, other short-chain fatty acids, let's say? Or, you know, is the composition changing only in that way? Or is there something else that's uh, unable to be produced as much in favor of agmatine? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, we haven't looked at it uh, from that perspective. I'm sure there's, we did a metabolic analysis and, and indeed a lot of things change. Uh, and we, in order to, to get a good sense about what was important, we had to do kind of a triangulation of our metabolic data together with some phenotypic data that we had. Um, but we, we saw sort of very strong decrease on, on, on a lot of, of glucolytic um, intermediates uh, on, in bacteria that are treated w with metformin. Uh, we don't really understand um, why is that uh, and what is really the, 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 the relevance and the consequence of, of that to a host. So, so we know there are other things that are changing. We know specifically that certain uh, glycolytic intermediates are going down. Uh, but what is the, the physiological consequence of that? We, we, we don't actually know. Make it even more interesting. Does anyone understand the phage activity on E. coli or you know, other bacteria that would, would digest metformin? How does the phage activity change in the presence of metformin? You know, are there, is there more phage activity? Is there less? Is there no idea. different <laughs> phages that eat that bacteria? How do they change it? You know? that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, I, I have to say, uh, I don't think I've seen a study yet on, uh, on, on phage activity in, in the context of metformin treatment, uh, but I think it is definitely worth uh, a look into. There's, there's amazing uh, research coming out uh, on, on phages and, and phages and interaction with, with the microbiome. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, that they would also uh, completely change their uh, function and activity patterns uh, depending on, on drug treatment. But I don't think, it, I could be wrong about this and I'm happy to be corrected, but I, I'm, I, I haven't seen anything yet. But I, it's, it's, I'm, if I had to bet, I'm, I sh I'm sure there's something there. <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, you know, the more I learn, and I'm sure the more you learn, the more complicated things are. So it's like, well, where do you start? You know, how do, it's funny. The uh, it, it, it makes me surprised that drugs work ever. Because <laughs> you know, in a given process, there could be fifty steps, and how do you know that this one small molecule will affect the process positively? And then there's you know the bacteria inside you, and their metabolites, and then there's the phage activity, and the you know it's just it's craziness. Absolutely. How are we supposed to figure out what to do? Yeah, I think that's one of the great challenges of this field. Part of its beauty it's in, it lies also in its, its immense complexity. Uh, people always ask me, you know, what is the best approach? Is it a top-down or a bottoms-up approach? And I think, well, ideally you kind of want something in the middle, but the reality is we're dealing with, as you say, with such an incredible uh, and complex ecosystem that interacts uh, and changes and and adapts, and we we still developing a lot of the tools, you know, to fully understand how all these elements are working. We tend to focus on how these elements are working one by one, and and I think what we we did and our contribution so far has been really to develop systems that allow us to include more complexity 
into these studies. And that's why we did three-way uh, screens and four-way screens. And, but, but even that, a four-way screen, which takes into account the microbes, the host, the drugs, the, the nutrition, is still a, a very almost insignificant representation of, of the complexity that exists in, in, in the microbiome. Uh, and I think we have a lot to learn. And I, you're absolutely right. Why, how things work, it's almost a mystery. But, and I think a clear example is, is the drug digoxin, right? Where if you have the wrong diet again with, with a, one single wrong microbe, um, you, the drug just doesn't work on those patients while it works perfectly well on other patients. So it is quite remarkable how some drugs come to, to work uh, effectively but then it's it's also not surprising that the nutrition rates for a lot of drugs uh are, is are incredibly high and i guess it's just due to that uh, immense uh you know complexity and, and lack of a full understanding of, of these complex ecosystems well if, if you were to just fantasize about it what's what's the ideal profile for let's say metformin you know but my, my thought would be you evaluate the microbiome of various people that would take it and you find a profile that's maybe the most successful. And then some people that take it that don't have that bacterial profile, maybe they also take a probiotic of the needed bacteria to make it perform better and a prebiotic to encourage those bacteria. Yeah. Maybe they also take a, you know, a phage therapy to, to cull the bacteria that they don't want, et cetera. Like in the digoxin example you gave, maybe, you know, someone takes a, a phage therapy to, to cull the, the bacteria that would, you know, prevent it from working. I mean, maybe these, the right therapy looks like that kind of, it needs all those elements to properly work. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. This idea of, you know, microbial adjuvant um, therapies really. Uh, and I think it's probably the way forward. The more we understand the key requirements of certain microbes in order for certain drugs to work if, even better or, or as effectively as possible, uh, we will start moving into kind of drug-drug therapies that where we can promote the growth of certain microbes or, de or delete or, or edit out uh, certain microbes that impair or stop the, uh, the functioning of that drug because of the lack or presence of a certain microbe or just simply, as you say, by providing uh, live microbes that can support either the community or, you know, or the microbe itself is needed for for a drug therapy. In the case of metformin, again, I think there's a very clear, uh, there's cl very clear evidence of the need of proteobacteria. E. coli seems to be often one of the most important microbes that comes from these human studies uh, and also from, from, from studies from lower organisms. But, um, but exactly, uh, we've done a bit of, of work, which is unpublished, that does support that need of, of, of specific microbes. Uh, even without the rest of the community. So indeed, just a drug, a specific microbe uh, and the host. But we, we definitely need to do a lot more to, to characterize because that doesn't really reflect the, uh, the human context where the microbial community exists and it's immensely complex. So how do we, how do we make that uh, almost, how do we mimic that is, is, is really uh, hard. And, and, and what are the elements that need to be into that? complex cocktail is also a, a, diff a diff very difficult and, uh, question to, to ask. Well, what have you learned about looking at uh, cancer drugs and the metabolism of those, the microbiome, any particulars? So we, we're looking at these fluoropyrimidines, which, you know, we, the, it's true that 
cancer research and, and cancer therapy has evolved a lot in the, the past 50 years, but the, the, the hard reality is that even for, for, for colorectal cancer, uh, one of the most widely used drugs still uh, is um, 5-FU or capsidabine, um, which are these drugs that were developed um, almost 60 years ago. Uh, and people have known to some extent that, you know, these are prodrugs, that they were designed in order to, to protect the host cells, that they had to be activated by liver enzymes in order to, uh, to produce the active compound that then stops cellular division. Uh, but for some reason, people hadn't really um, delved too much into the, the, the importance of microbial metabolism to that activation or even in some of these uh, fluoropyrimidines, uh, the deactivation of these drugs. And, but now research from our lab and other labs are really showing that uh, the microbes have the ability to activate these drugs, changing their efficacy. And all the work also shows that uh, sometimes microbes that exist in tumors, and there's a beautiful uh, study that came out in science showing really that there's a big community of microbes in tumors and, and a lot of these microbes have the, the metabolic potent, uh, ability to, to, to transform and change uh, a lot of these uh, therapies. Um, and, and that can effectively uh, reduce uh, the efficacy of a lot of these drugs. And, and I think that's really a, a very exciting and important area of study for, for treating cancer. Yeah, I just read that paper and uh, I was amazed to see that the microbes are inside the tumor cells, not just adjacent to them or around them, literally in them. So I wonder if a therapy could be made where, you know, we're able to understand uh, if we administer a certain drug that, the, you know, the bacteria inside tumor cells would metabolize that to like a cytotoxic material for those cells in particular, which yeah. would be nice. I think that's a. I think people are thinking right along those lines. They've been thinking about this for a little bit, and I think with the with the evidence of this study that we know now very clearly what are the microbes in different types of tumors. Um, I think that makes that approach now even more realistic because we know maybe which microbes we can manipulate and which microbes we can maybe even use their own metabolic machinery to even design new drugs. Uh, that can be uh, activated specifically uh, by a type of of, uh, of microbe that can uh, that can create a uh, really a, this almost synthetic lethality that can kill um, can kill specifically cancers. Uh, so, what what big questions do you hope to answer uh, in the near future, the next couple of years with your work? So, we're trying to understand uh, why. Uh, so, one of the areas of research that people don't um, there's, I think, starting to grow a lot is really the importance of, of, of strains. There's a big focus, of course, in, in species um, uh, and, and understanding why species of microbes are more or less important. But we, we know that actually uh, the genetic variability that exists between organisms, strains from the same species, is, is quite immense. Uh, so and that kind of, uh, but we don't fully, we, we tend to just focus on on one type strain for, for each one of these species and, and make big sweeping generalizations. But the reality is um, the, the, different, the genomic difference that exists in, 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 in strains of different species can completely change almost uh, as much as different uh, species, as differences between different species. So we're really trying to understand is what is the role uh, and what matters 
uh, what is the genetic backbone that really matters for a specific species in order for it to have a, uh, a role on regulating host physiology and trying to understand how so exploring as much as possible this genetic diversity that exists within, uh, within uh, strains of the same species because the metabolites that are produced in one context uh, by one microbe are completely different by uh, a different member or a different strain from, from the same species. So really trying to explore kind of that genetic diversity that exists within species rather than... Uh, so that's another level, right, of complexity that people don't tend to, almost tend to ignore because it becomes almost too complex. Yeah, right. In the context of, depending on the bacteria that are around a given one, they may produce different metabolites and act differently. So that makes it even, even more complicated. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and that's really... It. Try, uh, you're, you're completely right. So the, the, the strains on their own will produce, based on the genetic, immense genetic diversity, will produce many different things and they will change what they produce depending on the community that surrounds them. And, and that's really the, trying, fully understanding that I think will be essential to, uh, to translate key discoveries from the microbiome uh, to, to, uh, to humans. It sounds like personalized medicine is going to be a, a requirement, you know, let's say you have, you know, God forbid if someone has colorectal cancer, it's foolish to just give them a drug. It seems far better to, you know, shotgun sequence their microbiome, see what's there, you know, have at least some idea of how that'll interact, with, you know, them personally with the drug, then give them not just the drug or maybe an alternative drug, but, you know, again, prebiotics, probiotics, etc., so that the drug actually works for them and it makes sense why based on their particular microbiome i think so i think they we tend to use the brute force approach of course and i think it, it, most of it it's it's linked to costs right um and and we go with stats we know that the drug is going to work to 40 percent of the patients and you know you you always try that approach first but i think with time as sequencing costs go down and our understanding of the biology improves i think we will be able um to 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 really use personalized medicine in, in, the, in the proper sense of the, of, of the words, right? Because, uh, and it really came from changing our perspective of, of what the host really is. And, and, and this idea that just understanding our genes was sufficient for adequate personalized medicine has proven to be quite, not quite what people wanted or, or expected. And I think including uh, a, a more comprehensive view, which will include uh, information from the microbiome, but also dietary information uh, will really uh, can really change uh, the efficacy of drugs, and I think uh, I think really that is the, the way forward. I think we also need really to to remember how strongly diet uh, regulates uh, many of the uh, of the many, if not all, of the physiological features uh, of a, of a host. Well, very good, Felipe. What what's the best way for people to find out more about your lab's work? So we do have, uh, we have our website, um, we have a Twitter account. I'm not a big, I'm not very good at Twitter, <laughs> but I, I try to tweet a couple of things and uh, at least yeah. work and studies. And um, we have the, the website that we try to, 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 to update um, and our publications really. Um, I do some, some public engagement um, in, in the UK, if you're in the UK, um, you can sometimes follow me on that. Um, and that's, I would say it's pretty much that. 
Well, very good, Felipe. This was a good call, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Richard, for, for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. It's been a great uh, discussion, actually. So thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.